One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, apparently it's the end of an era in Afghanistan. They've been uh, setting off fireworks. They've been standing around in TV studios with Kalashnikovs pointing them uh, at the presenters. We don't do that sort of thing here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. There's no military hardware in this studio at all. Uh, We have got a couple of experts for you, but that's another story. The song remains very much the same here. In this country, airport queues are getting longer thanks to the inefficiency of the border force. School children are being told they'll have to endure more COVID restrictions than they had last term and Extinction Rebellion are still making a damn nuisance of themselves and bringing London to a standstill oh yeah now Greta Thunberg says that Scotland uh, isn't a very good country when it comes to global warming and climate change either. This morning, John Rental uh, joins us in the studio to cast his eye across the political landscape. Will Dominic Raab survive an upcoming reshuffle? Was he right to say this morning that it was absolutely irresponsible for people to brief against him while he was away on holiday, working very hard? Has Michael Gove decided that nightclubs are now safe environments for everybody? Oh, and is Sir Keir Starmer still completely and utterly irrelevant? We shall see. As Parliament prepares to kick off another season, another session, I should say, next week, the RAF appears prepared to launch fresh rocket attacks on ISIS in Afghanistan. I thought we'd pulled everybody out of Afghanistan. I'm confused about that. And the NHS is launching a vaccination data resolution service. (laughs) Yeah, only they could come up with that name. Apparently, uh, they've got an ever-growing crisis around vaccine passports. Around 700,000 of them are wrong. Brilliant, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. We're joined by Matt Vickers, MP as well. He wants to know why the NHS is advertising for heads and assistants in diversity and equality when they're moaning there isn't enough money to pay GPs or nurses at the front line. And we'll be checking in with Simon Calder to find out just why travel is so difficult, even now, still. As ever, we need to hear from you. If you've been away anywhere, do tell us how it went. Tell us how it was when you came back. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And I'm delighted to say, as if to kick off a new parliamentary session, John Rental is here <laughs> in the studio. Very good morning to you, John. Here I am. Very nice to see you. I hope you had a nice bank holiday weekend, unencumbered by the likes of those uh, ghastly individuals from Extinction Rebellion. Unfortunately, uh, well, I can't say the same. Yeah, no, well, I hear you were uh, you were stuck in a traffic jam. I was uh, I was sitting with my feet up at home with... Having a having a nice sit down and a cup of tea, which is how I like to spend my bank. Well, holidays. listen, I like to work on bank holidays, and so I was rewarding myself with a decent lunch afterwards. So, uh, <laughs> but 
But I mean, you know, at least the police have seemingly treated them slightly differently now. They do seem to be actually arresting them and dragging them off things and not letting them, you know, construct well, ridiculous things was, around the whole of the there, city. There was one Extinction Rebellion vi video which the Metropolitan Police then uh, took and posted under its own name on, yeah. uh, on Twitter okay. of, of the police actually rushing in and stopping uh, one of these uh, one of these attempts to obstruct yes. ob obstruct Her Majesty's Highway, um, but uh, you know I, I mean we need to see a bit more of that. Mm. I, I would have thought. I think so because I mean I've been saying for a while if we are going to be paying something like fifty six million quid for the police to police these events, the least we should know uh, is that they're actually not just looking at them; they are actually doing something <laughs> about what they're doing. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we should. I mean, I I should say that uh, you know Extinction Rebellion are are well intentioned and uh, are are trying to. You a good cause. I'm not sure they but, all are. I've seen some of them close up, you know. They look well, as if they'd like to deconstruct the entire Western world yeah. and, and rebuild it in the image of something like, um, you know, the caveman era of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> well, times gone by. No, I think they, they have a more sort of utopian, uh, rural, idyll idea of, of what the green life should be. But, mm. I mean, in, in in that they are drawing attention to uh, the, the problem of climate change. But I they're think not, they are they? Are, they I mean, well we don't need attention drawn to it because it's all people talk about. Well, the is... idea that, you know, we're hosting a, a climate change summit, yeah. right? It's all Boris Johnson ever talks about, really, when he talks about, you know, the green economy and changing up and building back better and all this kind of stuff. It's all we ever talk about. Well, that was the point I was going on to make, which is that uh, although they are well-intentioned, I think their methods are counterproductive from their own point of view. Mm. I mean, if, if they want to persuade uh, the people of this country and, and the wider uh, rich world uh, that uh, urgent things need to be done about mm. climate change, then blocking streets in London is not, yeah. the, is not the, the way to, and to I've persuade also, the undecided. I, and I don't know whether you have also detected this, but I've detected a slight change in their, in their message now because their message used to be we're drawing attention to climate change because we must absolutely get to net zero carbon yeah. by 2030. Now they're saying, well, we're all sort of a bit hypocritical. We all now need to just realise that there's something we can do. It's almost quite a subtle change, but it is a change. They're trying to get people to go... All right. Well, I'll well, tell you what. I'll cycle to work once a week. Well, that is that is a doom. Well, that is another doomed um, uh, 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 mission. I would have thought. I mean, because you are not going to solve climate change by persuading people to to to, to behave differently. No. As as an act of altruism. No, exactly. Um, it has to be done by by governments, obviously, uh, and uh, you know, big changes to uh, to to the tax system and uh, to the structure of society. Yeah. And when you start telling people it's going to cost them a lot of money, they tend not to be that keen on it. Correct. And that's, that's where it starts to get difficult and we haven't actually quite hit the crunch point there yet. No, absolutely right. But let's talk a little bit about the political landscape because we haven't really seen you, I don't think, since the day they had the emergency session in Parliament, which which was an incredible day in many ways, but, yeah. but not least for some of the things that were said. Um, and not least for the sort of setting out by the likes of um, Tom Tugendhat um, and others about the difference between those who've served their country and those politicians who haven't. I mean, there were some quite cutting remarks made about Joe Biden, about Boris Johnson yeah. and about a lot of the members of the cabinet. Yes, but uh, although um, what was striking, I thought, about Tom Tugendhat's uh, contribution, I mean, moving as it was, he wasn't actually 
proposing that we should do anything different. He wasn't proposing that Britain should go it alone no. now that America has, has decided to pull out. Mm. Uh, it was more just a cry of anguish, pain, and uh, and regret. I think, really. yeah, but I think it was a well, it was a well informed one, and it was also oh, a very much required one because I think I don't think very many people would disagree with the, the principle of pulling out the troops from Afghanistan. No, um, it's what gets left behind and what happens next is the problem. well, and also how how you do it, whether it was possible to do it in a less chaotic way. I mean, yeah. one of the things that Dominic Raab, the foreign secretary, said in one of his interviews this morning was that, uh, I mean, he sort of suggested that we knew the Afghan government was going to collapse. We just didn't think it was going to collapse this quickly. I mean, the, pro the problem with that is if you think it's going to collapse, right. then that becomes a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. I mean, as soon as people think that something's about to about to collapse, and the Taliban obviously did yes. think that it was it was going to collapse, right. then it uh, then it was going to collapse, and it was going to collapse much faster than. I mean, you can't just say, "Oh, well, I thought it was going to collapse." Well, this in, is it. In, a, in a few months. But time. that's more or less what Biden said as well, wasn't it? He said, "Well, you, we everybody knew it was going to be chaotic, no matter when you did it." And you yeah. go, "Really? Well, surely you're in command of that sort of situation as to how chaotic and when." Yeah. And and clearly, from what we've seen, oh, just overnight. Uh, we've got people lining the, the runways, you know, Kalashnikov's held to the, you know, being shot into the air. Um, you've got a TV studio, if you saw that piece of footage of a guy reading the news Indeed. with blokes holding guns to his head, effectively. Um, you know, you can take the view that, well, that's fine. That's well, the way we're going to let Afghanistan run itself. Yeah. However, at what point does it become dangerous for us here in the West? Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, that, that is the big question. Um, I mean, and I think, you know, I, I think... Uh, there were some headlines in the in the weekend papers about the the, the threat of terrorism mm. uh, coming back, but I mean in the in in the first place the the threat of terrorism was rather tenuous. I mean it was, you know, Al Qaeda were I mean t technically headquartered and based in in Afghanistan. Yeah. But, I mean their op their operation was 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 planned from Hamburg and uh, and Florida and Florida. So. Yeah. You know, it's an international threat, and you know, really, I'm not sure that uh, you know occupying Afghanistan uh, made a significant yeah. difference. I mean, I don't think that we'll ever see the likes of a terrorist attack like 9/11 in the West ever again. Well, I wouldn't say things like that, Mike. But but, uh, but what I do think might happen on the anniversary of 20 of 9/11, of um, 20th anniversary, is that something will happen because they'll want. You know, these are people who would want to bookend the the, the event, wouldn't they? Yeah, and it might and, be that they take a target, a British target or an American target overseas, yeah. somewhere like Pakistan or somewhere like Addis Ababa um, yeah. or Nairobi, which they've done before, and that kind of thing could happen. Indeed, and they and and they are addicted to anniversaries mm. for, for for some reason. I mean, you would have thought anniversaries are a rather Western invention, but yes. Um, I mean, I seem to remember 9/11 was actually planned. Uh, to mark the anniversary of uh, American troops being deployed to Saudi Arabia mm. in, in the in the first right. Gulf War, and they had tried once before, hadn't they, to blow up the Trade Center, just very unsuccessfully. Yeah. But when I say I don't think we'll see the like of that again, I think what I mean by that is that it, the, the the West and America in general were so unprepared for something of that scale. Yeah. And they just never believed it could happen, so they well, weren't uh, able to defend against it. Exactly, and that's and that's why you know all this talk about. Um, uh, the, you know, the West, America, the UK going back into Afghanistan is, um, you know, overdone. I mean, we're talking about, you know, occasional airstrikes and maybe yeah. maybe a, a, a special forces operation. But yeah. I mean, we're not talking about reoccupying But in a strange country. kind of way, looking at that Telegraph piece this morning saying the RAF are ready to make more airstrikes, you kind of go, well, what would be the point of that? Yeah, exactly? abs abs absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I was a bit suspicious when, you know, the, the day after the, uh, the, the bombing of Kabul airport, 
the Americans said they'd uh, they'd taken out the planner. Right. You know, I mean, you know, really? so they presumably they presumably bombed some poor farmer mm. in some remote hillside well, we'll of, of we'll Afghanistan, we? and we 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 won't know. And then and then they 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 seem to have blown up a, a car full of children. Which, yes. Uh, you know, Which yeah. always happens whenever they do drone strike, because that's the inevitable yeah. result of a drone strike. But what about uh, Dominic Raab? I mean, he also said that he thought that it was despicable, practically, and very irresponsible that people were briefing <laughs> against him. I mean, he is a... Well, he would. Is he sure he's a politician? <laughs> I mean, doesn't that happen every day? Yeah, no, not uh, not his finest, uh, his finest moment. I mean, this whole thing has not been... Um, has, has not been good for him. Um, whereas uh, Ben Wallace, the, the d- Defence Secretary... Uh, has actually acquitted himself quite well, I think. I think he has, actually. I think he's come out of it quite well because he's been able to, to manoeuvre himself into a better position if he's found himself in a worse one. Whereas yeah. Dominic, Dominic Raab has simply just been sort of truculent yeah, and, 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 and said, well, I did everything I could. Yeah. I couldn't have made that phone call because I was too busy swimming. No, sorry, not swimming. <laughs> uh, too busy working very hard trying On to make beach. sure uh, that lots of people were going to get out of Afghanistan. I mean, yeah. nobody believes that. No, and uh, I, I, think, uh, I think he hasn't uh, conducted himself. Uh, very well, but I think it's overdone to suggest that uh, that Boris Johnson will want to uh, sack him because I think he's been extremely useful to the Prime Minister in uh, in diverting mm. some of the uh, some of the criticism. Well, Boris once again has managed to sort of dodge all the flack, hasn't he? I mean, he's he's yeah. a remarkable beast at doing that. Well, and while many people are not very happy with some of the things that he's introduced over the past year or so, I mean, he's kind of emerging towards say the autumn of this particular year. Um, not looking that bad. No, well, uh, David Cameron didn't call him a greased piglet for nothing. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, it's quite a remarkable talent he's got. I mean, if he's got talent for anything, it's kind of dodging the flack. Yeah, and uh, and diverting um, uh, diverting criticism by uh, by talking about something else. I mean, mm. that is one of his one of his one of his great skills. And of course, um, you know, he's not uh, he he's not particularly uh, accountable to to uh, the, the the media. Um, he tends to do these controlled uh, video clips mm. uh, with one with one sort of journalist asking asking the obvious couple of yeah. questions. Uh, we haven't had uh, we haven't had press conferences for uh, for a while. No, but we're back in uh, Westminster next week. I understand. Yeah, I haven't been asked uh, whether we should unfurl the tent. I think it might be quite nice <laughs> to do that if the weather's going to be decent. But uh, what's going to happen? I mean, are we going to be just completely and utterly obsessed now with COP26, and that's all that's going to be talked about? Um, uh, well, I hadn't even thought of it. If, mm. if you'd asked, if you'd asked me without mentioning COP twenty six, yeah. what's what's going to dominate the agenda next week? I, w- I would have thought it's probably going to be things like universal credit and yeah. uh, and schools going back. Yes. Um, you know, the sort of uh, the climate change conference is just it's one of those things that's just sort of always there mm. uh, but nobody's really very interested in it no. to be honest well to be honest after the g7 and the complete utter failure of anything that they said that they were going to do afterwards yeah I mean, people are going to be pretty fed up aren't they There's well actually, world leaders flying into places not having to do anything that everybody else has to do and they fly into somewhere indeed and then flying away again yeah and, and once again i think uh, i think boris johnson may benefit from uh, the tyranny of low expectations in that you know people expect it to be a failure mm. they don't expect china and india who are the two big really big players yes. apart, from, apart from the united states uh, to to do anything useful so if they if they do end up agreeing to do something uh, constructive then that will be presented as a great tri- yes. triumph but i mean everything the they bond-bond. always do at these things is actually uh, to, to to name a target they don't actually <laughs> agree to do anything they just agree <laughs> to say well by 2030 this will have happened 
Well, yeah, except that actually, if you look at what's happened in a lot of uh, a lot of developed economies, uh, there has been a remarkable shift towards uh, towards low carbon energy. Not according to Greta Thunberg. She says it's all a lie. But she says it hasn't gone far enough. I well, no, but suspect. she says it's all a lie because now we should be counting China's emissions as well as our own, as our own. That's yeah, but, part of what we do. But, but China is doing some. I mean, the China, as well as building, you know, more coal coal fired power stations than you and I have had hot breakfasts. Mm. Um, is also doing a huge amount of uh, solar power and, 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 and the rest of well, it. Well, it's a big country. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is continuing to increase its its carbon output, but uh, but less fast than yes. it would have done otherwise. Well, they also sat in the UN yesterday alongside Russia and vetoed the uh, UN's resolution to Afghanistan to allow people to leave No, no, no they abstained. Peacefully. They, they abstained. Well, they effectively vetoed the well, whole was, thing, didn't no, they? No, it wasn't a veto. It was passed. So, but it was, it, it was a mere declaratory... But it means um, that basically they don't think it's right that Afghanistan should be told to allow people to leave the country without being killed. Yeah, well, they want to they want to curry favour with the yeah. with with the Taliban, and uh, they see you know business op- opportunities of. Uh, yeah, but I don't think we should be saying what good things they're doing on climate change if that's their kind of attitude to human life, is it? Uh, no, okay. Well, I wasn't I wasn't praising them particularly. <laughs> I'm just saying that you know they are doing something. Yeah, well, they may well be. So, Dominic Raab, you think if there is a reshuffle, stays where he is? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be difficult for for, for Boris Johnson to to move him mm. um, because uh, unless unless he does something really really terrible, um, and Boris Johnson doesn't like sacking people, no. and uh, it's not a good idea anyway in politics because then you just create uh, more disgruntled uh, MPs mm. on the back benches. So. Uh, you know, leave, leave him where he is, I would have thought, yes. would be the uh, the obvious solution. OK, well, we'll come back in a moment. Stay with us, John. And we're with John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. We're going to talk about Michael Gove and his new penchant for nightclubs in Aberdeen. Uh, and also, of course, Sir Keir Starmer. Remember him? This is Talk Radio across the UK. Online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham here on Talk Radio. I suppose before we get to the sort of Michael Gove story, we should really talk about Joe Biden because, I mean, he has had probably the worst month, I think, of any American president for a very, very long oh, time. Hasn't he? No, I don't think. I, I don't think. I mean, you know. Well, you haven't been, been talking to people in America then. Nixon, Nixon and Watergate spring, spring. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> well. Yeah, but if you look at the opinion polls in And also in, in Nixon America, was never accused um, of, of killing anybody or having people killed when they didn't need to be killed. Well, he, he was. He, he, had, he was trying to extricate us from... Uh, extricate America from, well, uh, Nixon, from Vietnam. And he did extricate, but, uh, he did extricate America yeah, from Vietnam. And, and that he was, actually was successful doing And that, that was messy too. Yeah. Um, and people died. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but actually, he, 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 got, he got credit from uh, American public opinion for doing that. And if you look at the opinion polls in America, I mean, Joe Biden's only just gone into net negative approval ratings um, overnight. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, D- Donald Trump for... at this stage of his presidency was, also, was, was already deep underwater. Yes, but the problem for Biden is that he was supposed to be the answer and he's proven not to be, unfortunately, for an awful lot of people. But the thing about well, America, and I know it very well, is that they don't like to be humiliated. No. And right now, watching the Taliban standing at Kabul airport with their guns going, look what we did. Yeah. That's not going down well. No, but I mean, the other thing that uh, you know about American public opinion is that they don't like uh, they don't like their troops being uh, b- b- taking casualties abroad either. So, no. you know, they were they were very keen to 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 get the troops out of Afghanistan. And I th- I think so there'll, there'll be a balance. There'll be people giving Joe Biden credit for, for, for actually delivering on what Obama and and Trump both promised and, and didn't deliver. 
Um, but there will also be the people who don't like uh, the US being humiliated. Yeah, all I know is a lot right. of people that, that were very glad to see the back of Donald Trump and who voted for Biden are now rather uh, unhappy about the way he's conducted what has happened in the last two weeks. And I think that's fair. Yeah, but it's very early on in his presidency. So uh, I think... Yeah, uh, he could make a lot more mess between now and uh, three years from now. <laughs> but that's another story altogether. Um, what about Michael Gove? I mean, what extraordinary, about him? extraordinary pictures. I mean, one, as I was saying to you earlier, you'd think that it was a lookalike that was filmed dancing <laughs> in a nightclub in Aberdeen on his own. Well, it is an unusual thing for a cabinet yeah. minister to do. Uh, well, he's not, to, he's not a young, not a young man. I mean, it's not. I mean, I've done some pretty strange things in, in my life. Well, I mean, many people are younger than me as well. I think probably just a bit younger than me. But it's not the sort of thing you think of doing, <laughs> is it? In your fifties, <laughs> I know. I'll go to Aberdeen. I'll end up. I'll, I'll pitch up in a pub on my own, hook up with some people, and then end up in a nightclub. He's a, he's a party animal. Um, a very unlikely party animal. Very unlikely party um, animal. No, I thought it was uh, I thought it was extraordinary, uh, but uh, but quite um, quite liberating. Yeah, really. well, I thought so as well. But, but I suppose the serious side of it for some people is that this is the guy who was telling us that restrictions had to stay, that we shouldn't be being too uh, you know rapid about lifting them, and that we should be very very careful about how we behave. Yeah, and but... I mean that doesn't look like a guy who actually believes any of that. Well. Well, except I think, I mean, the restrictions have been lifted now, so... Well, um, not yet, you know. because they're now claiming they're going to put COVID restrictions back on, aren't they, into schools? They're talking about possibly having vaccine passports for nightclubs. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Michael Gove showed his vaccine passport and said, I well, am he the Chancellor well, of the well, Duchy no, of Lancaster. because you don't have to. I mean, that's the point. At <laughs> well, the moment, you don't that, need to. So he didn't break any rules. He had a good time. Uh, good on him. Yeah, well, that's fine. But why then would you believe a word he says about vaccine passports being required? Well, uh, well he hasn't said that yet. Let's let's wait. Are and you see. saying that vaccine passports might not happen? Yeah, I don't I've, think they I've will. I've always thought that I vaccine passports are not going to. No, happen. I agree with you because um, it turns out and we're going to be talking about this later on in the show. Um, they've they've got loads of them wrong. Yep. Seven hundred thousand, according to Peace and Telegraph, exactly. uh, have got the wrong information. I mean, you know, I've I've got to go to a Labour Party conference in in Brighton. Oh yeah. Um, cool, later, <laughs> next month, uh, and they they're requiring evidence of uh, double vaccination. Yeah. So. Um, you know, but they uh, should require evidence of ideas before they let anybody into that, <laughs> because then they wouldn't have to bother holding it. <laughs> I mean, well, it's going it's to be fascinating to see how it uh, how it works. And I this mean, will be Keir Starmer's first sort of proper outing in front of a crowd, won't it? Indeed, and uh, you know, he's, it's a very very big speech. It's his first his first proper speech mm. as uh, as leader of the opposition. Yeah, um, and it's his first proper challenge because there will be all sorts of uh, trouble from yes. the from the floor of the conference hall. Right, uh, and there's a bit of pressure on him, isn't there, to get rid of uh, Jeremy Corbyn out of the party, which I think you and I talked about before. Well, there's pressure to, 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 to readmit him into the There's pressure to readmit him, but there's also it, pressure to kick him out altogether. Will, yeah, but I think the pressure to readmit him is rather stronger than, uh, mm. than the pressure to right. kick him out. Because... I suppose it depends, doesn't it? And you'll know better than me. Um, who has the power at the moment in the Labour Party? Because the Parliamentary Party is one thing, yeah. but the membership is another. Well, quite. And they're both kind of from completely opposite sides, aren't they? Well, not 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 as much as they were. Mm. I mean, it, it, I think that's a very interesting question because uh, there's been a lot of attention paid to Unite, yeah. um, which has a rather large uh, block vote at the, uh, at the Labour Party conference. Yes, but it's, it's and they've not got as, a new leader who's got, not necessarily as middle ground as people have worked <laughs> it out. <laughs> Sharon Grab, yeah. I mean, who was who who who, who is obviously a political genius of some of, of, of some magnitude mm. because she was able to maintain an alliance of uh, the SWP, the militant tendency, and socialist organizer. Yeah. three different varieties of, of Trotskyite. Right. Um, who who she managed to keep in uh, in an alliance for the for the weeks of her leadership campaign. Mm. I mean, that was a remarkable achievement. But yeah, so, but it's remarkable. But, but 
but equally strange that people keep describing her as some kind of you know centre left person. She clearly isn't, is she? Well, we don't know, but I mean, uh, she clearly isn't going to be particularly pro uh, pro Keir Starmer. No. Um, so you can you can write off the Unite Bloc vote, but I mean, there are there are three other big unions who all have about ten percent of the vote, so mm. so they easily out, outweigh Unite. I mean, GMB, Unison, yeah. and and Usdor, and then you've got actually the the, the, the sort of moderate. Uh, uh, wing of the of, of the party at the grassroots has organised uh, an awful lot of delegates. Mm. So I think I think Keir Starmer probably has a majority of the votes at, yes. uh, at Labour conference. Yeah. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with and whether they do actually launch themselves as a new kind of party. They sort of need to, really, don't they? They kind of need to go right. This is what we actually stand for. Yeah, but you know, can you imagine the Labour Party trying to trying to present itself as new Labour again? Well, um, it's not. But they it's not going to happen. But I, they, they need something like that, though. They so, do, but then, but but that's not Keir Starmer's. Mm. Uh, that's not Keir Starmer's way. His his way is to bore is to bore himself into power, uh, just by being competent. And I was kind of hoping you meant bore as in you know like sort of tunnel, but actually you no, do no. mean bore. Uh, he's he's going <laughs> to he's, he's going to use the power of tedium uh, yeah, to, well, to rise to the top by uh, by because he's he's planning on people being fed up with mm. with with Boris Johnson uh, who can't concentrate on anything for mm. more than 20 seconds yes. uh, and is terribly entertaining but a complete um incompetent but, that's, that's, but that but the trouble is it doesn't seem to be hurting him does it well at the moment no but I mean, he's got quite a bit quite a way to go to the to, yeah. to the election. no listen i'm i'm no defender of boris johnson's i'm as critical of him as anyone but but it's it, it doesn't seem none of it seems to be having any effect no, but you know, that's that's partly because of, the, of of Brexit. I mean, he does have uh, he does have you know half the electorate eating out yeah. of his hand because he delivered uh, what they want. Mm. And uh, but you know we're going to run into an awful lot of problems with the with the NHS and, mm. and schools and the rest of it. Uh, over, well, I mean, over the practically next of any years. government department you care to name right yeah. now is not working it, very well. It's going to be an absolute disaster. Mm. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be very difficult for the government over the next couple of years. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think and I, th right. I think Keir Starmer is, is hoping that uh, that things will drop into his lap. Mm. Well, it's some hope that, isn't it? And uh, we shall find out soon. Next week, we could have uh, Prime Minister's questions back then, I suppose. So we look forward to that. John Rental, thank you very much indeed. My Chief pleasure. political commentator from The Independent, of course. We don't always agree, but it's always nice to see him, mostly. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, let's talk to Matt Vickers, Conservative MP for Stockton South, because we've been talking for a long time on the show about the problems inside the NHS. He spotted, as we did yesterday, some adverts for some jobs uh, in the equality, diversity and inclusion departments of the NHS. I'm not quite sure uh, who they fix up, but let's find out from Matt what's going on. Matt, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, very well indeed. Very well indeed. Funnily enough, I highlighted these adverts yesterday on the show, and so I was pleased to see that you had also spotted them, because this is an organisation, the NHS, which is always going on about how they don't have enough money, they don't have enough doctors, they don't have enough nurses. They're advertising jobs in excess of sort of sixty, seventy thousand pounds a year um, for a head of equality in the administrations department. It's it's absolute madness, isn't it? We're, do you know what the government is pumping? Well, the biggest cash boost in the history of the NHS, we're putting more money onto or into the NHS than ever before. Yeah. But actually, you know what we're putting it in there for? To see doctors employed, to see nurses employed, to see waiting lists reduced. Um, and this is a kick in the teeth, not just to taxpayers, but to, uh, probably to many of the doctors and nurses who work in the health service. Yeah. They could do with that extra nurse on duty tonight. Uh, instead, money, actually more than many of those nurses will be getting paid, more than some of those doctors will be getting paid. Yeah, exactly right. Bizarre, bizarre appointments just pushing this walk agenda into the NHS. I don't know how many lives are 
a director of, you know, how many lives somebody like that can save, really, or what impact they have on health in this country. It's absolute bonkers. But isn't it also part of the problem, Matt, that we've got, and it's not just in the public sector, but it seems to pervade the public sector, and by that I also include civil service departments and the police as well. You know, they seem to be obsessed with making sure that they're adhering to some imaginary set of rules that nobody's ever actually told them they have to adhere to. Yeah, we need we need a we need a director of common sense in the NHS. Very good idea. Back on board. It's like it's ridiculous, absolute madness. But you know what? If people very often the problem with the public sector is they're not spending their own money, uh, and they just see these things. You know, there are headlines on budgets that can be spent. Instead of thinking about what the actual impact of that money is and mm. why they're being given that funding. Yeah, and also uh, and the biggest complaint from the public about the NHS is the fact that it's full of well, and from people who work in the NHS is the fact that it's full of middle managers. Well. Here we go. Another great example of just that. Mm. Well, let me read you the description of the job that's available in the Shrewsbury and Telford Hospital NHS Trust. Subject to confirmation of a gender for change banding evaluation, this is an exceptional opportunity for an experienced equality, diversity and inclusion leader to join our senior leadership team reporting to our assistant director, organisational leadership development. I mean, it's barely in English for a start. I mean, they should find somebody who could be the head of English, perhaps, in the, the NHS. The problem so is you have write to be experienced. Yeah, you have to be experienced, which means there's hundreds of these roles going on in different organisations throughout the country. Yeah, you know, but you know as well as I do, Matt. I mean, you travel, you, if you go, you know, take a little deep, deep dive into uh, the organisations in the public sector, you will find hundreds of these people, you know, who basically go from one job to another, they're only ever qualified to do this this particular job, which nobody can really identify as as being any anything useful, and it's and they can lead very happy lives, make loads of money, uh, have very nice cars, and work from home, and absolutely uh, are never put under any kind of pressure whatsoever. Because what is the target for doing this job? Presumably, to make sure that you interview loads of different people for different jobs. Yeah, I mean the big the big problem is we've got to drive accountability for this money and why why on earth this is happening, and that that's. The job of politicians like me, probably, to get back to government and say, what the hell are we giving them this money for if this is how it's being spent? Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we talk we, about the NHS all the time, Matt, on this show, and we have so many people getting in touch with us every single day about how hard it is to get a GP's appointment. We know from the stories yesterday that at least half of our patients now don't get seen in person, face-to-face by a, by a GP. We're now being told that the NHS is actually offering incentives for doctors to, to see people online instead of in person. It's all kind of heading in the wrong direction, isn't it? Very much so. I mean, we're, we're fighting back here for for chunks of money, millions of pounds to, to upgrade hospital facilities. Well, you know what? If we squeeze the waste, we bring in some accountability for how this cash is spent, it can get to the front line. Mm. It can create GP appointments. In fact, each one of those wages could be two nurses, could be a, could be a GP. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. And as far as the NHS goes generally, Matt, I mean, we all know what's going to happen come the winter. It's going to be yet another NHS in crisis story. Not enough beds, you know, not enough patients to, to be seen on a daily basis. Massive uh, waiting times for millions and millions of people. Nobody seems to be addressing any of that. I think, I mean, the, the, the big chat, I went into my local hospital the other day and I was out in the theatre. We got to see all fantastic frontline workers doing an absolutely incredible How job. How busy was it? It was, it was incredibly busy. Uh, and I think the big problem is actually when you're talking to them, their concern at the moment is about all the people who haven't been coming forward during the pandemic and there's going to be a huge backlog and waiting lists are going to be horrendous because all during the pandemic we stopped all this elective surgery uh, it's piled up it's queued up there's people who need a hip or need all sorts of operations 
uh, who haven't been getting them. Mm. That coupled with all the people who just didn't come forward because they didn't fancy going into a hospital setting. So that's that's the next big challenge for this country is how we get through this backlog of cases. Uh, but you know what? Safe hands at my local hospital. They were absolutely fantastic. Uh, I got to see some gallstones, real gallstones being removed from something. It was incredible. Yeah. Isn't that some kind of invasion of privacy? You know, they signed up to let me do it. I mean, you know, did they, they know that some, some MP... They know some MP was going to turn up and start staring at things <laughs> being taken out of them. I'm not sure I'd be too... You got the warning on the way Yeah, but no, but seriously, though, I mean, the government... I've got Sajid Javid, right, who everybody said was going to be a safe pair of hands, who everybody said was going to be great, and he has been good. However, um, he has not really addressed the NHS problem, which is it needs to be completely and utterly stripped bare and rebuilt, doesn't it? Because it doesn't work. I think the pandemic's, ex, you know, the pandemic's exposed the failings of parts of the NHS. It is, it is an incredible institution that does amazing things for so many people who are entirely relying on it every day they wake up to stay alive. But actually, there does need to be some fundamental shake. I mean, it's about driving accountability. We employ these huge people on huge salaries to manage this organisation. And they're the people coming up with appointments like this, with yeah. jobs like this. Trying to work out how they can spend the budget rather than how they can make it spent effectively. Exactly right. Because the point is, it's meant to be for the use of the patients, not for uh, the use of anyone who wants to get a fairly easy job in the administration block, never seeing yeah. the patients and probably never ever having to actually go into work. Yep, the National Health Service, here to serve the public, uh, keep them fit, well and alive. Yeah, well, that would be nice, Matt. Matt, what can you tell me about uh, next week? You're back in Parliament. Is it going to be back to normal? Because we saw the uh, the day uh, of the emergency debate, which was very, I'm very gratified to say, looked tremendous with everybody back in Parliament. Is that now going to be the rule? Well, I've been busy polishing my shoes, getting ready, getting myself a new tie, you know, just like going back to school. Um but actually, it's the, the easy bit of the jobs down there. We've been running around the well, running around our constituencies for the last five weeks, and it gives you the chance to get them leaflets out, knock on them doors. Uh, you know, when someone gets a leaflet from a politician, they think, "Oh, isn't that candy?" They don't realise they've had to deliver forty thousand and yeah, something. They also don't. They also, I've got some bad news for you, Matt. They also don't bother reading them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they put them straight in the bin. They build recycling bins no, throughout the country. They just put them straight in the bin. I mean, I don't know why guys like you bother, um, because the one you thing that people right. don't like is getting unsolicited rubbish through the letterbox. They complain when they don't get them. They complain when they do. Well, uh, you know, here all year round. Here all year round. That's the um, thing. That's the thing. But what's on your agenda for the new parliament? Have you got anything you're, you're going to be introducing? I think we've got quite a lot. It's quite a lot to get through, isn't it? We've got this nationality in borders bill, which is a massive problem now, uh, and I think we also need to. There's a group of us probably want to push the government a bit harder to go a bit faster and do a bit more about these channel crossings. There is, well, the other issue that I've had on my personal agenda, I think we've spoken about before, was protections for retail workers. Um, so we've got the, the other big bill. So we've got so much legislation going through, it's unreal. Mm. Uh, we're changing the way that we look at, at refugees and channel crossings. We're changing the PCSC bill, the Police Crime Sentencing Courts bill, is looking at all sorts. It's toughening up uh, sentences for sexual and violent offenders. It's people who assault emergency service workers are going to get tougher sentences. It's so far reaching, it's unreal. And importantly, it's dealing with the right to protest. It's protecting that right to protest. Does that mean you're going to stop these bozos from Extinction Rebellion blocking Westminster Bridge? These these unwashed hippies. Yes. Uh, I think that's the mission. That is the mission. Um, and do you know what, the, what is really interesting, Mike, is my mailbag. We're bringing these measures forwards, having seen what we saw during the summer we, well, what we saw with BLM protests, mm. what we saw with Extinction Rebellion, stopping ambulances, getting to hospital, yeah. gluing themselves to trains, yeah. absolute bonkers, doing everything they can to disrupt other people's lives. 
Um, but you see people in my mailbag kicking off about this. Yeah. They, they feel that we're restricting their freedom, their freedom to prevent other people going about their daily lives. Well, this is true. I mean, last night, right, all of East London, anywhere from uh, the city, the outskirts of the city to the Tower of London, all the way out to more or less the um, the Blackwall Tunnel, was completely solid. Now, if you're going to tell me that's any good for the environment, you're up a gum tree. These maniacs were stopping people from getting home, stopping people from getting to work, stopping people from going about their business. Absolutely disgraceful. And they shouldn't be allowed to do it. No, it's madness. And I think actually when you run it, when, when you're involved in campaigns like that, I'm sure that your aim is to is to win the debate, is to get people on side. And what they're doing is anything but that. They're mm. agitating so many people and creating so much of people. And I'm not entirely sure of their green credentials. We've seen all the question marks around that and what they're actually trying they to do. They look a bit green around the gills. Yeah. <laughs> if it was down to it me, you know madness. what I would do? I'd give, them, I'd give them like the equivalent of a football banning order from London. So they can't come in and they can't move anywhere. And if they do, they get locked up. Yeah, I think, well, that, that's probably how tough you need to be to some extent. People should have the right to peaceful protest. But this, these organisations are very often just made up of, of professional protesters who yeah. go from one protest to the other. They don't know what they're protesting about. They've just joined the jamboree and they're having a good time. No, no. Uh, well, I'm going well, I'm, I'm to put my trust in you, Matt, and you have to stop them. Yep, I'll get out there. Good, I'm Matt. Thinking. But and the police if... were very effective. Did you see that footage yesterday? They did an absolutely fantastic job. The well, stuff was coming out the back of the van yeah, and they were yeah, in after there. I, yeah, after I'd been sitting that. in a car for an hour without going anywhere. That's very true. That's yeah. very true. So when you say very effective, I'd have to say <laughs> not quite as effective as they should have been. But anyway, uh, a big hose would do the trick as well, just sweep them all into the river. Uh, Matt Vickers, thank you very much indeed. A Conservative MP for Stockton South. Big new term starts in Parliament next week. We'll be all over it here, of course, as we always are. Prime Minister's questions. Boris Johnson back in the chamber. We've got Labour Party conference coming up, whereas John Rental just told us, they're going to try and make something interesting out of themselves. He says Sir Keir Starmer is going to bore himself into the leadership of this country. I don't think so. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
on Talk Radio. Story in the Telegraph this morning, which is fast becoming a very, very good newspaper for these kinds of stories, says this. Up to 700,000 vaccine passports have been affected by NHS blunders, locking many people out of foreign travel after the wrong data was recorded by health officials. Now, these are already being used for people to travel abroad. What we fear is that they will now be used and introduced next month for people to go to venues, for music, for people to go to nightclubs, for nights out. I'm not sure what Michael Gove's view of that would be after his trip to Aberdeen. But let's talk to Alan Miller, co-founder of Recovery. Uh, Also, somebody from the Nighttime Industries Association knows a thing or two about entertaining people uh, in the evenings. Alan, very good morning. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, your campaign, Open for All, obviously reaches far into all sorts of different areas of, uh, of our society. Um, what's your view on, on, on whether the, we will actually see vaccine passports being introduced? Well, we know it was a very big nudge. <clears throat> Excuse me. We know it was a big nudge by the government, which is very disingenuous because uh, if you want to win the hearts and minds of young people, one should go ahead and do that in a free country and make the case as adults and appeal to them. Um, and as it happens, you know, had a, uh, a counteractive effect because some people who'd had the first jab, young people said, we feel like we're being bullied and we're mm. not going to have a second. But um, I'm not sure. But even if they then do a dodge and say it's not mandatory, it absolutely should not be mandatory for many reasons we can discuss. But even if they make it voluntary, we then have the nightmare scenario of local authorities, which we've already begun to see um, already imposing all sorts of different measures and making demands. We should remember that it was originally, well, after three weeks to flatten the curve, 15 million jabs to freedom. And it's increasingly been the case that it's been directed to more and more people. Now, vaccinations can be a good thing, can resolve the problem. But one of the questions about vaccine passports is directly to this situation and the app is, it's now becoming clear from some evidence and research in Israel, where the majority of the population has been vaccinated, that actually, if you get immunity, which a lot of young people have when they get it, if they've not had the vaccination, you get multiple times stronger immunity against it and other strains. It does also beg the question that if you can be immune and not be vaccinated, or you can be vaccinated and pass on something, what in heaven's name, just from a scientific point of view, is a vaccine passport for? So that's a question about science, but the question about freedom and that we're not certain countries and that we have, we, we're lucky to stand on the shoulders of people who've fought and died for our freedoms, is that somehow we're doing this trade-off now where hospitality and venues and events are expected to become a security people that look into your most private areas of mm. your life, intrusive and unnecessary, and it's completely wrong. And it should, they should stand down the government on this entirely. Yes, I think you're absolutely right, because the problem that we've had, I think, over the months, Alan, is that they've tried to make out that it's a scientific decision they're making, where, in fact, it's anything but scientific. It's all about, as you say, behaviour. It's all about trying to get people to do certain things. It's all about saying to someone, well, you'll be safer if everyone's been vaccinated in a nightclub. And you go, well, really? Are you sure? Because there isn't any scientific evidence to suggest that anyway absolutely and the other thing is um and i'm one of the signatories of a new uh campaign called the together uh declaration yes. the together declaration has now got over seventy thousand members of the public it's just launched last week where they're saying that they do not agree that there should be any vaccine passports anywhere so open for all is over a thousand of british hospitality operators some of the largest multiple venues some of the smallest independents but now the public are getting their voices heard as well with the Together Declaration. And I think it's really important that there's a distinction also between vaccines and vaccine passports. Many people 
Um, I know that in one uh, broad, uh, tabloid recently, uh, 93% of their readership said they thought that um, vaccine passports were over the top. It's just not British. Now, presumably, if they're statistically representative of Britain, 85 or 90% of them have been vaccinated, at least mm. with one vaccination. So this whole attempt to try and present it as somehow being deviant or anti-something is ludicrous. This is a question about, on the one hand, all of us face uh, civil liberties and freedom and free movement. No one's asking, no one should be asking you to, 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 to see what you've done in your private decision-making and your health. <clears throat> it's also a question, there are all sorts of logistical nightmares with this <clears throat> from a practical point of view, uh, from people being upset to fraud and a whole range of other issues. We know already from this <clears throat> crazy situation of 700,000 mistakes that somehow this idea of a panacea of technology resolving all these issues can be quite the reverse. Yeah. Fundamental problem is, and, and venues and others always want to be safe. We're very professional, some of the best in the country. But this is just not necessary. And also, you can't really have any health if we don't have our freedoms. And it's not to be exchanged on that basis. The government needs to back down on it, <clears throat> whether they, they think it's a nudge or not. And we need to have none of it, not voluntary or mandatory. They're just not necessary. And we really need to get back open for all and normal again together. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, people that I've spoken to in the past, Alan, nightclub owners, people that run venues, you know, they're not at all comfortable with the fact that it could even work. Because, you know, if you've got a nightclub with, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 people going in, how on earth are you going to check all of that um, before they go in, in addition to all the other security checks that you do? Well, absolutely. There's many practical logistical issues. The amount of cost, the amount of people entering. Issues when people are unhappy about whether it's being recorded correctly or not. Issues at the door. You know, what kind of training? There's a big discussion about security as it happens in the UK and, and, and a lack of it at the moment. What that all means when they're asked to become the enforcers of show me your papers mm. is really utterly unacceptable from a prime minister that said that he would eat his ID card if mm. ever requested to do it. And I know things change so much so quickly, but I think we need to get a bit of proportion in all of this. What we're dealing with now is that the majority of people in Britain have had vaccination. We've got a situation where um, the people that we're talking about, in particular younger people, are far less at risk. Many of them have had COVID already. And we need to be able to open our businesses and society so that we can address the many issues we've got, like the 14 million people waiting NHS treatment. How do we think everything's paid for if we don't have business and society and culture open? But also, it goes to the heart of our communities. All of these hubs are in the middle of communities. And we absolutely should not try and make ourselves become enforcers of show me your papers. That's also why many in the public support this and they've signed the Together Declaration uh, and we say to the government, to Michael Gove and the Prime Minister, stand down on this and not to be voluntary either. Yeah. What did you make of Michael Gove's little sojourn to uh, to Aberdeen, to a nightclub? I mean, surely it's going to be a bit hard for him to now make out that nightclubs are dangerous places, isn't it? Well, I always love uh, it when anyone has a dance and relaxes and <laughs> has fun and, and fair play. And, and, you know, I'm not here. I, I'm not on Strictly Come Dancing. I don't care how people dance and what they do. I think it's fantastic that we should be in places doing it unrestricted, no social distancing, no masks, nothing like that, no test to enter. Um, but it is ironic, isn't it, that all of a sudden uh, many, you know, one of our biggest sectors in society, this is the other thing, people think, oh, nightclubs, you know, what do they represent? Well, they represent how we have fashion week, where the next cultural phenomenon comes along. They're part of a 70 billion UK 
uh, per annum uh, trade balance. They represent almost 10% with other parts of hospitality of our workforce. This is not playing around behind the bike sheds. It's a really key part of our GDP, but also who we are. We go out, we engage, we socialize, we network, tourists come, new houses are built around those areas where they're diverse and interesting and exciting and dynamic. Many young people are employed where often they're not in other places. We don't build ships anymore. I really think that this pernicious idea that somehow we're going to use nightclubs and events and festivals to impose these measures should be struck off. The people should have their voices. They should sign the Together Declaration, togetherdeclaration.org, if they in agreement with this, your, your viewers and listeners, Mike. And we should have our voices heard and send a very clear signal to the government. We've done so much. Everyone's sacrificed so much. Now's the time for normality return, not to have checkpoint papers. And also for the for the for the best part of the last few weeks, we've had football matches being played in front of capacity crowds. Uh, we've had, I was at Laws for the cricket. Not one person was asked to show a vaccine passport of any kind. Why the hell would you go back on that now? Absolutely, it makes no sense. It's a threat. Like many of the issues with travelling have been in there, an attempt to cajole as has been admitted with a nudge unit, the behavioural psychology unit that's been very very strong, involved with Sage and other parts of. Uh, PSI, that, that, that basically try and think that the way that you get people to do things is you threat and you nudge, rather than having an open democratic discussion. I really think that, you know, viewers should have their voices heard, write to MP, sign the togetherdeclaration.org, make our voices heard, because this is one of the issues that's critical. Let's look at France. 70% of the uh, cafes and restaurants are putting signs in there saying they're just not going to be asking these papers, right? This is unnecessary, mm. it's discriminatory, it's completely against all our values as a free liberal society. The Enlightenment, the whole idea of freedom of movement, the whole idea, we've got a situation where we've spent so long now, and in order to recover and get back to normal, we need to get a grip and do just that. And that's why we should be open for with no restrictions uh, and together. Well, it seems to me that the, the, the general kind of hospitality uh, business is split, isn't it? Because you've got plenty of places uh, that I go to, pubs, restaurants, which are completely and utterly open, uh, not requiring any sort of restrictions whatsoever. Other places that are still kind of hanging on to them. I went to book a restaurant the other day uh, and they had a little sign on their website that said, we require you to wear a mask if you're walking around inside the restaurant. I just cancelled it straight away. I'm not going to somewhere that's asking for that because you don't need to. And nowhere else uh, that I go needs to ask for it. And that's the places that I go to. Do you think we might have, Alan, a kind of a two-tier hospitality system now? Well, I think that's the danger, I think, from for two reasons. I think, on the one hand, people will vote with their feet. Um, on the one hand, what will happen is the test is just a farce. It's a pantomime beyond anything because... Yeah. Even if you did them and you did them correctly, we know there's a lot of issues with lateral flow tests. But even if you did, if you do them before and then you get on a bus or a train and you go there, what does that mean? Right. Mm. So it's pantomime, but bad faith, a bit like you do in the Eastern Bloc. And everyone knew it was wrong, but they did it. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people who are going to do fraudulent ones. They're just not going to. I mean, and the thing is, they're just not necessary. They discriminate. Uh, there are many reasons why people uh, might choose not to have a vaccination or can't. And in fact, the majority of British people have had the vaccination. We need now to be in a situation where we don't create a two-tier society on the basis of you go over there, you go over there. I can go with my friends and family here, but not here. People will vote with their feet, but also many businesses will go out of business. Mm. 
It's just unacceptable. We should stand against it. I'd encourage everyone to sign the togetherdeclaration.org. Yeah, because I was actually talking to somebody this morning saying, I'm not even sure what the scenario is. If you are somebody who's been abroad on holiday, but you haven't been vaccinated because either you're too young or you haven't had one or two or whatever, um, I'm not even sure what the rules are anymore. But they've been so confusing over time. If you go away somewhere, say you're 25 and you come back from Greece into Britain, I don't even know what you do now. Yeah, well, there's lots of confusion. There's lots of leaks around things. There's lots of push-pull. It's, I mean, I don't know that uh, Beckett could have come up with something better. I mean, it's almost like a waiting for Godot moment where yeah. different things are said at different moments. It's it's almost all of the parody that used to be made about the Eastern Bloc mm. and how people used to live. It, and it's just like, let's have some honesty and transparency. Look, we get it. At the start, no one really knew exactly what it was. There was an enormous challenge. It was very scary. We have got our arms around this now in a very different way. Freedom Day, Freedom Day that came a month late and then had mandatory vaccination passports uh, attached to it. How anyone could put the two things together, the term Freedom Day, and similar with travel, we have a situation now where we've got majority of the public uh, vaccinated, many people have immunity. We now need to get on with society. We run the real risk of a two-tier society, checkpoint society, but also really creating division and, and limiting our capacity to create dynamically, to do business, to be socially engaged. It's had enormous effects in every area of, of schooling and education, on our personal interactions, uh, in, in business, in the NHS. The only way we get out of this is together, is to work together and to creatively, dynamically develop. And our, our hospitality sector is one of the most entrepreneurial, professionally recognized globally, uh, everyone from our tech production people that do tours internationally and, and people that work right down to people that work alongside the venues on the ground. And we're limiting them. We're stifling them. Everyone is very nervous about what they're meant to be doing, as you say, around the rules, like with travel. And we really need the government to come out a bit like it did with the Olympics. Invite everyone out and say, now's time to get on with things. I know it's scared and nervous because it doesn't want to be seen as being irresponsible. But quite frankly, we run the risk now of suffocating ourselves uh, we need to get back together. That's why I'd encourage everyone that watches this to, to sign togetherdeclaration.org. Yeah, absolutely right. Because the other thing, and finally, and I know you've probably got other things to do, Alan, but finally, if they are making so many mistakes on these vaccine passports, 700,000 is a lot of mistakes. I mean, what else are they messing up? Well, exactly. I mean, I don't know if the film Brazil was a long time ago, but where <laughs> a fly comes onto a, a something being typed and then all of a sudden all these people come around the house and they think there's someone else and... They come in and that's the opener to the movie, right? It's a bit of a dystopian movie. But the whole idea that we have all of this information and data that on the one hand is surveying and really uh, uh, very, very intrusive, and then all these mistakes, these human errors can 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 impact them. Um, they're, they're not necessary. They're very discriminatory. When did we ever say we were going to get into a social credit system type scenario mm -hmm. like they have in some places? The enlightenment and freedom and the rights of individuals and engagement and freedom of movement and our, our ability to engage legally with one another freely and openly, speak openly, they sh cannot be burnt at the altar of this idea that we have to suffocate and stop things. We need to be open for all. We need to be together. I'd encourage everyone in the public to sign together, declaration.org. 
Absolutely brilliant. Alan, thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. Alan Miller, co-founder of Recovery uh, and the Nighttime Industries Association, campaigner for Open for All. And as he said, what you should do is go and find that petition. I've just tweeted it out, uh, retweeted his version of it. It's called the Together Declaration. Um, and it basically says, we, the undersigned, reject vaccine passports or any similar form of medical certification in the United Kingdom and invite you to add your voice to ours by signing this open letter. Together, we represent more than 100 organisations, business groups, campaigners and professionals who have come together because we are gravely concerned about where the introduction of vaccine passports could lead. And I think that's absolutely right, because if you run a business and you're asked by the government to make sure that everybody who attends your business or everybody who brings themselves to your place of business has to have some kind of medical proof that they have been vaccinated... How are you going to uh, make sure that that is actually done properly? How are you going to ensure that people don't in some way fake it? How are you going to ensure, given that they've got so many errors already on the vaccine passport system, 700,000, where they've got the wrong information, where they've got the wrong stuff being put down, where you are being refused access and entry to somewhere, even though you've got the right to be there? It's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for punch-ups, particularly in a nightclub situation. It's a recipe for delay. It means people who want to go to a nightclub will probably have to leave the house at 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, if they want to get in somewhere at 9 o'clock at night. It's madness, isn't it? Absolute madness. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. But just a little um, bugbear of mine before we go any further, and that is this. Headline in the Daily Mail today. Doctors told, don't say the F word. Now, it's not the word you're thinking. It's not even close to the word you're thinking. And I'm very pleased to say that that wouldn't be the word that I would obviously be talking about on this radio station. No, no. The F word in question is fat. Apparently, somebody's been complaining that doctors have been fat shaming. That actually rhymes, isn't it? Complaining about doctors fat shaming patients, right? Because apparently it's upsetting some people. Now, there are plenty of fat people in this country. Some might say I'm one of them, right? If somebody calls me fat, I don't get particularly upset. If somebody who is a doctor said, you really should lose some weight, Mike, otherwise, you know, you might be in trouble. I don't think that is in any way a problem, is it? And if it was a problem because the doctor was particularly rude, then I would just give as good as I got. I'd say, well, particularly given the fact that you're telling me this on a Zoom call, maybe you should get back in the office and do your job properly. But how about this, right? One junior doctor at Maidstone and Tunbridge Wells NHS Trust apparently upset a patient by saying this. You need to lose weight. You are very hairy. And that is why, because you're overweight. That probably would be described as rude. And if somebody said that to you, you'd probably right to be upset. Similarly, an East Midlands ambulance service received a complaint against an employee who allegedly told a patient, I hope you can make your way down. There is no way I'm carrying you. You weigh too much for us to be lifting you down the stairs. And that seems a bit rude as well, doesn't it? So surely, as ever, with all of these things, what you need is a little bit of common sense which, of course, as we know, is sadly lacking in almost all areas of British life, apart from here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and Talk Radio, which is the HQ, the world headquarters of common sense. Apparently, Rachel Power from the Patients Association says this, talking about someone's weight can be a sensitive subject and health professionals need to take great care when approaching it. Well, not really. If you've got some patients, right, and you're a doctor, Surely it doesn't take too much for you to be polite enough to suggest kindly and with all good thoughts that somebody might need to lose a little bit of weight. I don't see how that is in any way offensive. I just don't. And it's further proof, is it not, that the world has gone stark staring bonkers mad. 
you do see an awful lot of very, very fat people, very, very obese people waddling around. Quite a lot of them waddling around in and out of hospital. Well, surely, if they're a strain on the NHS, if they're a drain on our resources, then somebody should be able to tell them without being rude about it, without being horrible, and with the idea that you actually come out of it winning with a better result. Everybody's happy, everybody's fitter, everybody's less unwell. That's not too much to ask, is it? For heaven's sake, grow up, the lot of you. That's what you need to do. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.